Thanks for calling the Midnight Drive-In. No one is here to take your call. This week, we bring you Red Dawn and Iron Eagle. For more info, check out the Midnight Drive-In on Twitter at MN Drive-In Pod or find us on Facebook. If you want to email us, send it to themidnightdrivein at gmail.com. Remember, no outside food or drink. Anyone caught performing sexual acts at the drive-in will immediately be taken to the office. Unspeakable things will be done to you. Thanks for calling. Drive away your worries and cares at this drive-in theater. That's why, to familiarize you with the movie rating symbols which will be used by this theater, we present the following guide for parents and young people. X, no one under 17 admitted. You ever seen Hard Bodies 2, though? Even Hard Bodies 1? Oh, yeah, I've seen Hard Bodies before. All right. I went on Blu-ray, and I still haven't watched that since I was, like, seven. <laughs> I I can say that the the... Uh, two times I watched it, they were both on like it was on Skidamax in the middle of the night, and I was like, "Meh." Like, sure, why not? This seems appropriate. You're like, I'm not old enough to legally buy porn, so this will do. <laughs> <laughs> they have not invented the internet's yet. So no, uh, I guess wow. I guess we probably did have the internet's. It was just so fucking slow. You had to wait 25 oh, yeah. minutes for a boot to load. Yeah, the, you, it turns out it was not even a boo picture, and you're like, God damn it, tied to. Fooled me again. So now, what caused your exodus from Facebook? Uh, I just, like, it just stresses me out. I needed to get away from it. And and I at first, I was trying, like, a few things, so I uninstalled the app, and I was like, maybe if I uninstall the app, I just won't ever look at it. Yeah. And I found myself that I would still just log into it through, like, the website and still get all upset, and I was like... Why am I? I hate this. Why am I doing this? <laughs> so, I decided just to completely delete it. I was like, that way I don't have any access. I would have to like literally make a new account in order to. See, I think anything. if you just would have turned your account off, you'd still use Facebook Messenger. I think. Yeah. So you can deactivate it. But all you have to, do, but all you have to do to reactivate it is to literally sign in, and it reactivates you. I know, but so stop. that doesn't that doesn't prevent me from getting to it. Like like I said, I and I think part of the problem is I learned way too much bad shit about people that I didn't know want to know bad shit about, and I think yeah. that's that's the end of it. About the about the tenth time I had to scream at one of my friends for being racist, I was like, I'm done. It's like, can't do it. Can't do it. They're not going to change their mind. It's not going to help anything. I'm going to feel bad unfriending them. So I would rather just completely unplug. Sure. But I don't think you understand how inconvenient it is for me. That's what's most important. It is seriously. It's also inconvenient for me. (laughs) I just don't think you care about that. How's Doug going to berate you? Do you guys have Discord? We could create a Discord. I don't know what that is. It's like a chat app. Yeah, it's it's like a chat thing, and you can like do voice and stuff through it, so we can actually record through it. And this this seems hard. 
That's cool. Yeah, we'll figure it out. Right. Brian can give Doug my phone number, and you guys can just text me. Yeah, I don't have Doug's phone number, so we need Yahoo. Here, we'll all download Yahoo Messenger like it's fucking nineteen ninety two. AOL, AOL, IM. That's the way to go. Can we all just mi- get it? Can we all just migrate over to MySpace and just do it through there? <laughs> fucking MySpace. Can we? Can we please set up a MySpace page for our podcast and start advertising it to people? My, MySpace now solely exists for your friend to advertise their shitty band. Yeah, that's what I want to do with it is advertise their shitty podcast. <laughs> uh, uh, nice. Friendster? Should we move over to Friendster? I don't even know what that one is. Yeah. I know there's a name of that, but... It was like pre-MySpace even. I don't even know if Friendster still exists. I'd say we could go to Snapchat, but uh, half the time we're recording this, I ain't wearing no clothes. It's hot back here. (laughs) That's that's upsetting. I am right now. Baby steps in the right direction. I'm never au natural. We don't need any more details. Just, 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 it's just, it's just let's all go back to like the beginning of this conversation where nobody knew this and we were all happier. So I just went to Friendster's website to see if they were still. (laughs) (laughs) So Friendster put up a note on their website that said, Friendster is taking a break. The redesigned Friendster came, came about through an enduring passion. Make a difference. Over the years, we've built a vibrant community, blah, 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 blah. However, due to the evolving landscape in our challenging industry, the online gaming community did not engage as much as we had hoped. Uh, Thus, we've made the decision to take a break and pause our services, effective June 14th, 2015. I was going to say, there's also Kick, in which Kick was supposed to be kind of like a meetup chat group app. But what it ended up being is it's just solely used for people to send pictures of their genitals to each other. <laughs> well, that one sounds fun. Yeah, but I don't want to use it with you guys. No, no. Apparently Noah does, but the rest of us don't. <laughs> I, I'm not ashamed of my body. <laughs> you, think our, you think our listener feedback is weird now? <laughs> 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 Uh, which I guess I should check if we had any for this week. See if Eric sent anything that ended up in the spam folder again. It's always depressing checking our spam folder because it's empty every time. Oh, one, like, in the, oh one. one in the spam folder. Oh, it's from some guy from Russia. Did uh, did that crazy guy ever make it back into your Instagram? Did he create a new profile? <laughs> no. First of all, our Instagram. Secondly, no. It'll be our Instagram when we post to it. <laughs> I offered you uh, that opportunity when it, it was is, new. I'm just saying, it is your Instagram for us. I tried to add your uh, your Instagram account to a chat to see if you were still using your Instagram, which apparently you are not. Who? Me? You. I, do, I, I mean, I don't have the Instagram app on my phone. I just get on there to look on stuff every once yeah. in a while. Well, I added you to a chat with me and Doug saying, Hey, Noah, are you still using your Instagram? 
And considering this is the first you're hearing about it, I'm going to say no. That would imply, yeah. Well, if if that chat would be easier for you guys, I'm more than willing to install Instagram onto my phone. It's actually not that convenient, though. Cause, no, yeah. it's really not. You've ruined everything, Noah. You've ruined everything. <laughs> That's what you guys... That's what you guys get for making me watch war adjacent movies. You know I hate these things. <laughs> oh, I knew I know you're gonna love the messaging and Iron Eagle when we get to that. Well, did you even watch Iron Eagle, Noah? I did. Alright. I, I fucking own it. I fucking own that fucking movie. <laughs> I'm so upset at the fact that I had to purchase that fucking movie. If you're that like upset about it, you you could have just skipped it. I would have been fine with it. No, it's it's fine. Accepted. It's only like, it was only like spending three more dollars than renting it, you know. But but still, it was just like I don't want to own it. I don't want to like turn on my fucking Prime and have it pop up. Well, just you wait till we get to Iron Eagle two. It's it's bad enough that some of the movies that we watch on here have thrown all my algorithms off so my fucking <laughs> Netflix and shit don't know what the fuck I like anymore. <sighs> I did like this week's topic as I was watching it and I realized it's just it's the most eighties topic we've ever done. Yeah. Because it's like it's the big dumb action movie mixed with the kids on bike movie. <laughs> It's like, oh, look what they did. They just combined all of the 80s into a couple of movies and we decided to watch them. It's true. I have a theory about this weird subgenre that we are talking about. This action movie equivalent to the Monster Squad subgenre? You mean... Sort of, yeah. Uh, military recruitment <laughs> Republican porn movies? Well, there is that, too. That's another aspect of it. Yeah. <laughs> I'm wondering if, and this goes for like these movies and even stuff like the Goonies and I don't know, other stuff like since, since divorce was getting so big in the late seventies, early eighties, I wonder if there was just this weird subliminal, like we need to make movies where kids take their own fate in their own hands sort of situation to make them yeah. feel better about themselves since they had no control over their family splitting up. I think that there's an element of that. Because um, there's just also, a lot of it. And it's just always like, these kids are way too young to be dealing with this stuff, but they're like, fuck it, I'm gonna, we're gonna get to it, but I'm gonna fucking fly a fighter jet into a foreign country. Yeah, I think that you're talking about the divorce, you're also talking about um, a time when almost all families suddenly needed to have both parents working. So kids were coming home from school to empty houses for the first time. And, you know, that sort of first generation to deal with that, it would have seemed weird to them. Right. Yeah. Now to us, that just is an assumption that every family has two working people, because even if you don't have kids, you still need two salaries to get by. So it's a, Plus, there was that whole thing with Russia and Cuba combining forces to have made America through Mexico. Uh, all right. So I, I love the way this film just – I assume we're going to get into the actual yeah. plot descriptions and stuff. Yeah. I love how just, much – Just go for it, Doug. Red Dawn. 
Red Dawn, yeah. Like, okay, so the plot is Russia invades uh, the U.S. to start World War Three. With it's Russia, Nicaragua, and Cuba against the U.S., which mm-hmm. is in and of itself inherently hilarious. <laughs> but because it's just like that's those are all of the countries involved. It's just like that's barely even qualifies as a world war, quite frankly. Um, But they they invade by literally dropping troops everywhere in the U.S. simultaneously. Like they don't come in from the coasts like this day one. They're already in Colorado. Um, And uh, basically the the whole plot is about a group of teenagers and one semi-adult who escape into the woods and uh, eventually basically become guerrilla fighters to fight back against the Russians that are occupying their area. That's the whole plot, basically. We'll get into like the specific details when we discuss our favorite parts. Mm-hmm. But I'm, I'm just saying, that I, the most right away, the most problematic part of this movie is if you just say this movie description with a southern accent, it sounds really, really bad. <laughs> like... <laughs> Doesn't it? I mean, come on. It's like a bunch of kids' parents get captured by the communists and they use their Second Amendment right guns and go out in the woods and through grit and determination, they kill the shit out of them commies. And then they die protecting America, making them heroes. Well, okay, so there's an element of that that's true, but it's so weird because – in order to make these Americans into these heroes that like these kids that can stand up to the communists and they're, you know, all the stuff you're getting at, they had to make America look fucking pathetic. It's like they literally at one point they're like, yeah, the Russians invaded. We didn't see him coming. Russia and the U.S. don't share a border. It wouldn't be that easy to invade without seeing them coming. And then they're like – and they use the same tactic they did in 1980 in Afghanistan. And you're like, so you fucking know how they do it? And you guys were watching for that? <laughs> and it's like – and then all this shit about Nicaragua and Cuba and they're like, yeah, Nicaragua and Cuba built like a 500,000-person army. No, they didn't. Cuba doesn't have 500,000 soldiers. It's this tiny little island. I don't know exactly how many people are on their are in their army, but they don't have 500,000 land soldiers in fucking South America. It's also an island. How the fuck did they get all the way up there without you guys noticing? You've got a giant embargo against their country. Shouldn't you be watching if they're sneaking stuff in and out, let alone 500,000 people? It's insane. They also did say they <laughs> nuked a whole bunch of cities, so maybe they were distracted. Yeah, but yeah. It happened, that all happened on the same day. And that all gets into the whole thing of, like, aren't you guys watching for nukes and shit? And then and then they flat out say, well, the Americans aren't going to nuke them back. We wouldn't want to do that. And it's like, well, they don't give a reason why not. You see nuclear weapons coming, don't you shoot them back at the other country? Because then that maybe would cause the Russians to have to use a bunch of their resources to rebuild their own country instead of spend it all invading yours. It's the premise to get everything set up makes America look real pathetic. And then they're like, but these group, this particular group of hardened individuals who struggle hard, they, they could fight back. 
Well, and there's I, I was going to say there's even some once I don't think this is entire Republican porn. I think that Republicans have adopted this to be their their weird porn anthem. But uh, there's just weird messages in this movie, like the fact that the two main characters, Patrick Swayze and uh, uh, Charlie Sheen. not working, Charlie Sheen's dad, they're basically like, here's a man who was an abusive father who withheld love in order to turn his children into soldiers of fortune in the future. And he was right. You know, and it's like, it, what? wait a minute. No. Yeah, it, it's. <laughs> It's this weird thing where it's like, because they are, they're both like the all American. Like, they're, I think they're like Patrick Swayze's character used to be the captain of the high school football team and now his little brother is kind of thing. Like, real kind of stereotypical. He was an Eagle Scout and blah, 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 blah. Yeah. And then, so there's all that kind of stuff. And then it's like, but their dad was just magically preparing them for World War III. That's like, you. I don't know. I, I understand what they were trying to get at here. They were Here's, trying to make it seem realistic that they could put up this fight. But it is a bit – again, the messaging is super weird. It's like, well, use your kids in case in case the copies come. I, I was going to say, Doug, as, as a Canadian, you might not know this, but uh, weird abusive parents living in rural America training their children to be soldiers of fortune is not a far-fetched, unrealistic <laughs> thing. Like okay. I, I very literally you know, know some of those people. Okay, and and again, you're right. I, I am looking at this as an outsider, and you know, I'm very much looking at it as a movie too. When I complain about how the opening scenes make America look dumb and stuff, I'm like, well, that's the premise of the movie, so I will give it that, right? Like it's, yeah, you know, right. it's, I was gonna say once again, every time you say the word militia, there's thirty bearded dudes in the woods that just come in their pants. <laughs> I don't know that we have militias here. I guess you guys have that down there, don't you? It's because you don't like freedom. Yeah. Militias is what keeps us free. No comment. (laughs) Um, (laughs) But, okay. So putting putting aside, I, I think we can all agree, it's a lot of that stuff is weird. Problematic politics. Problematic politics aside. And like not even problematic in the sense that like it's it's that weird like sort of pro-war stuff that a lot of 80s movies were where, you know, like 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 we're saying it is important to raise your kids to just in case the commies attack. That's more important than, you know, raising them to be good human beings or whatever. But as a movie, I was I have to say watching this, having not seen it since the 80s. I was impressed that it's a real movie. I kind of assumed it was going to be a big, dumb action movie where it was just all about these guys doing ridiculous over-the-top things to attack these soldiers and stuff. And it's not. There's, like, legitimate amounts of drama to this. There's the, you know, character arcs. There's, you know, all sorts of stuff like that that I just wasn't anticipating. I don't know how long has it been since you guys saw this movie. Or it wasn't a first-time watch for anyone, was it? No, no. I can't remember the last time I watched it. Once again, these these aren't the types of movies that I would watch given a choice. Yeah, it's probably been about ten years or so since I've seen it. Yeah, because like I was just I was genuinely impressed by some of the like 
dramatic conversations between like Swayze and Sheen and like the character arc of uh, C. Thomas Howell's character like it, it was all pretty good mm-hmm. yeah is but he, I mean is he the crybaby that turns into the psychopath yeah yeah, but it's see that it's almost like that's what should happen in a war movie is we see what happens to this like nice normal kid who's like super upset about life because he's you know everything that's gone on and living through this has this hugely negative impact on him at least for, again as an outsider looking in at an, at American culture it is it I see it as a negative thing for you to go from being a nice normal teenager to a ruthless killer you know uh, so when you finally get to that scene where he like shoots one of their own because that guy had betrayed them you're like oh shit like that's a really far cry from that kid who had to be taught how to shoot a deer early on in the film yeah fuck for- you see Thomas Al. But don't not I was That's no, what we're saying. Well, fuck you, fuck you, Sons of It's not it's not what I was saying. I was saying it's a good character arc. I was saying it's a it's a nice little piece of appropriate war messaging in this otherwise, you know, rah rah propaganda movie. I always think it's interesting with his character because you keep expecting uh his character to become problematic due to the fact that he just doesn't give a fuck no more. And that that never really happens. They're like, no, he's just a really convenient psychopath to have around because he murders people real good. Yeah, he gets quite good at it. Same thing with like the Jennifer Grey character when she shows up. She seems like, you know, again, your average teenage girl. She gets real good at planting bombs on Russians. <laughs> they have her do it a couple of times, and it's like, oh, look at that. She really stands up for herself. Was a, it was a whole interesting thing with the two female characters, too, when they get added to the mix. And we actually have this scene where, like, I think it's Charlie Sheen's character that, like, tries to get him to go do the dishes. And they're like, fuck you. Like, we're as much a part of this group as anybody. We do just as much. We don't expect to be handed, like, this sort of women's work. And I'm like, that's, again, it, this is, what, 1984? Like, that's kind of an empowering message. I was going to say one interesting thing about this movie I think you can recontextualize if you showed it to the right person at the right time. Uh, essentially, the main characters are terrorists. Like, that's yeah. that's what this is. This is the the escalation of turning these normal people into terrorists. It, yeah, and we'll actually get into this discussion with the next movie, but it, it is – you would think if people were willing to self-reflect, they could look at this and say, oh, yeah, look, when a country comes in and invades and occupies your land, it's natural to want to rise up against it. It's it right. is no, it, it, this is what you would expect to have happen. Not exactly. Right. What and, they, and you start to justify your brutality by their brutality. You say, exactly. oh, well, they shot a bunch of people. So it's OK that we just blew up a building full of people. Exactly. And it makes sense when you think about it in those terms. Um, and, and, and to a certain extent, it is. I mean, if they're the invading force and you're the one defending your home, certainly your kills are more justified than theirs. Although ideally, I'd still like to live in a world where nobody shoots each other. Um, it's, you know, in a war, there is going to be death. And there is, th- this movie goes out of its way to make sure that, like, 
it's the World War II scenario where it's like, we definitely have bad guys here, and that sort of just makes the other guys the good guys, right? It, it's pretty pretty it's, clear cut. I, I was going to say, it's it's interesting. I, I feel like the end of the movie with the voiceover and her telling the story or whatever uh, fucks this up, but it's interesting that I feel like the movie ends with all of the main characters on both sides kind of coming to the conclusion of oh, this is all terrible and this is all bullshit. <laughs> like, Oh, certainly, yeah. And even, like, the, the time we spend with the Russian soldiers, you've got that one guy who's saying, like, you have to do the hearts and minds thing. You have to... We have to get these people on our side and get them to understand that we, we're here to lead, but we, we won't hurt them if they, you know, come to our way of thinking. And you've got the the guys that refuse to listen to that and just want to rule with an iron fist. And we're the movie essentially comes to the point of yeah, had the had the Russian invaders once they'd taken over the territory been decent to the people, that that would have been better for them and they would have been more successful of taking over the U.S. Which is an interesting perspective as well because that kind of goes against the whole you know, stand up and fight and fuck you. We don't need to think, you know, 80s action movie attitude that tends to exist. Yeah. It's it's interesting, too, that, uh, I don't know, because for being a movie of, ooh, commie's bad, this, there is that interesting arc of the, the Cuban guy, who that's the one you're yeah. talking about, the hearts and mind guy, yeah. who basically says through the whole thing, and he's like, no, like, we were revolutionaries fighting against imperialism and now we're engaging in imperialism. This isn't, this doesn't have anything to do with any of the stuff, you know, we were into. So why are we doing this? You know? Yeah. That, that level of self-reflection by the villain of the film is really interesting. And I, I feel like there's probably a, a longer cut of this movie that could exist. Maybe like a director's cut or something like that, where you actually, come to realize that nobody's the good guy and nobody's the bad guy in this whole in this whole series of events that you know many of the soldiers who are even doing the invading and who are suffering are probably you know just following the orders they're not given much of a choice in what they do and you know they they don't want to kill people they just they they don't rather go home they don't have that option many of these guys that you know like like you say like that guy saying like when what he what he wanted to do was stand up against imperialism, now he's the imperialist. So he's, in many ways, acknowledging that the other side is doing the right thing. Like he's he's basically saying these kids in the woods that are coming down and killing us, that's they were us last time in the last battle, and it's it, it's an interesting conversation that I think doesn't get explored quite enough in the movie because it was made in the eighties. Yeah. Yeah, there's and, and there's the whole through line of that calling somebody a terrorist kind of eventually will make them a terrorist. Yeah. Because you'll take away all of their options. Yeah, it's it's actually like like I say, the the dramatic elements of this film, you know, setting aside the fact that it's about teenagers who are fighting the Russian army and somehow winning all their battles. Um <laughs> The dramatic elements of the film, I think, are are really interesting, and I think the idea of a movie about, you know, 
okay, America, you keep wondering why everywhere you go, you go, these people don't greet you as liberators. Well, what would happen if they came here? Well, look at our heroes that are fighting back. Okay, well, those are, you know, the the insurgents in Iraq or whatever term you want to choose to use for that. They are the locals who are standing up to you. Well, how come they're the good guys when the Americans do it and the bad guys when anyone else does it kind of thing? Because America, that's why. America, America. Bunch of patriotic bullshit. I was more uh, upset at how they besmirched a drive-in by turning it into a prison. <laughs> playing propaganda stuff the whole time. I, I will say this. So maybe there's something I miss in this movie, but there's a giant fucking plot hole in the middle of this movie that I need someone to fill in. They okay. attack the drive-in and liberate dozens of people who they arm. Then they all get away. And immediately it goes back to being five kids in the woods. Where the fuck did the dozens and dozens of armed people that they picked up during that raid go? Elsewhere. They went oh. elsewhere. I, I'm saying they never explained that, right? No, I think the idea is that they either rejoined their families or ran for the hills and took off. They they did not become part of our main group, though. I'm just because they loaded them into the back of a big vehicle. Yeah, to drive that them vehicle drove away back to their their place. I don't. Was, I don't know. Well, I, and I'm. I'm Maybe I wasn't paying quite close enough attention. Did they say they were bringing it back to the camper? No, but I'm. I would just assume that's what you would do because otherwise, they're wandering off into the desert, yeah. or going back to town where they will be murdered. I don't know. I maybe they just drove for the front lines. Maybe trying to get try to turn themselves over to the American authorities. Also, where do these kids keep getting this sweet-ass camo? They got all-season camo. Oh, they, they took that off the dead Russian soldiers. But but they had it on when they killed the Russian soldiers. Well, I, I think we're meant to assume that they uh, were doing smaller raids all the time and, you know, stealing what they needed from the Russians and stuff. Right. I'll accept yeah. that, except I, except for the white ones. Because if you shoot somebody wearing white camo, it becomes red camo. <laughs> they uh, snuck up behind him and broke their neck and took it. Yeah, maybe. Or they, you know, stole a box of camo out of the truck that was left unattended temporarily or something like that. You're right, they don't show it, but I didn't see it as a plot error as much as just a, a natural evolution of characters. I just I, I remember thinking, I like, where did they get all the white from? But, I mean, I forgot about it, like, two, two seconds later. Yeah. Right. No, and, and I assume that we're meant to understand that they were doing more than just what we see. They would have been, you know. Because they also get dramatically better at running their little exercises. So I assume that they've been practicing by actually going in and stealing stuff. And we know there are gaps. I mean, sometimes we 
it fades away from one month and comes back another month later. So we know there are large gaps of time yeah. when we aren't following the characters. I was going to say that first, the first uh, raid that they take the uh, the lieutenant colonel on. That's actually like watching it. I was like, you know what? This really is a a smart way to fucking attack because they're kind of shooting downhill at these people. And then there's that sharp hill on the other side of the road, knowing that, of course, those people are going to swoop down back there because it's great cover. And then having that whole area full of claymores that they just blow up once they all are in cover. Yeah. Like, oh, Jesus, (laughs) that's that's dark. But man, they're good at this. They do. They do get quite good at it quite quick. I I think the the movie would have worked better had that um, that pilot guy if he'd shown up earlier and been involved in training these kids on how to do all these things, as opposed to having him show up and they're all already great at blowing shit up. Apparently, in the original script of the movie, that character is supposed to be completely different. Okay, he was supposed to be more like the voice of morality trying to talk them into stopping and just escaping because he doesn't understand why a bunch of kids are, are murdering a whole bunch of people and basically being terrorists. He's like, you know, we're, we're soldiers. We're the army. This is what we do. You, you are a bunch of psychopaths. You, yeah. you should just walk over the mountains and be done with it. I thought it did come off That's very Lord of the Flies esque that once they're thrust into this military situation, they just, sort of jump right to it and become really good at it. Yeah, it's it is interesting that depending on how you look at it cuz once again everybody looks at even the end of the movie tries to frame it as, you know, oh, these kids were freedom fighters, you know, and all that kind of stuff, which really at the end of the day isn't true. Those people murdered their families and they just wanted to kill a whole lot of them. That, that was the whole movie. That's all they were doing. They wanted to well, kill them and take their stuff so that they could kill more of them. Yeah, but I mean in a war situation, if you're fighting it, – it, it's it's complicated, right? And this is why they say like one person's terrorist is another guy's freedom fighter. The difference is your perspective, not the actions of the individuals. Right. Right? Like I mean it's it, – if you're killing the members of an invading force, at some point your goal is to either get rid of them all or have them leave. That is kind of a noble goal. But on the other hand, you're doing it probably, like you say, for personal reasons. They're just they're just pissed off at them, so they want to kill them, which is not really you – know, most of us don't think you're supposed to do that. But it's it's complicated and it keeps it interesting. Like I said, I'd, I'd like to see a longer version of this movie that concentrates more on those discussions. If you watch the remake, maybe Chris Hemsworth really knocks it out of the park. I'm reasonably <laughs> confident that he doesn't. Let me go right ahead and skip that remake, I think. Uh, just a heads up. We have a massive storm rolling through the area right now. So okay. if I just randomly disappear, I don't think it's the Russians cutting my internet, but you never know. <laughs> It's either your power going off or you being transported to the wonderful world of Oz. Yeah, one of the two. Uh, it's funny, if you watch uh, the movies that made us on Netflix, they talk about yeah. They have one on Dirty Dancing. Okay. Uh, and apparently, during this movie, uh, Jennifer Grey and Patrick Swayze could not stand each other. 
So when they got cast of having to be romantic interests, like I think Jennifer Grey almost quit before they even started filming. Like she hated them that much and they just could not stand each other. And at one time, eventually they had to just sit down and just hash the whole thing out just so they could finish filming the movie. That's interesting. I never even thought about the fact that they were in Dirty Dancing together. Yeah. What year was Dirty Dancing? Uh, just a couple of years after this, because this was, what, 84? Okay. Once Dirty Dancing was 87? And they casted them together, of course, because Red Dawn ends with the famous uh, lift scene. <laughs> yeah, Dirty Dancing's 87. So three years after this. Okay, so... That's, that's interesting. I just somewhere there was a casting director watching this movie and he's like, you see that guy and that girl killing those Russians together? They got good chemistry. I bet they can <laughs> dance. It is funny because it's like every time Patrick Swayze has come up lately, he's been in these like sort of stereotypical like guy roles where it's like, okay, here he's killing Russians. I talked about him playing hockey a couple of weeks ago. I talked about him like being a surfer guy that robs banks. Alright, all that's interesting. But what's he most famous for? His dancing. <laughs> that's really his most famous role. I mean, so Patrick Swayze, great actor, right? I think we can all yeah. agree on that fact. Sure. But he he did have a tendency to play these tough guy roles, but he always comes off as kind of an overly emotional wuss, even when he's playing a tough guy role. Is that because he cried when he executed that one Russian guy? Is that what you're getting at? I'm just saying, in general, have you ever had, is there a single movie where, like, Patrick Swayze yells something at somebody and you're like, ooh, that was scary? Because <laughs> usually you're like, calm down, Pat. <laughs> he told that he told he told him nobody puts baby in a corner right and i mean i was like holy shit watch out for this guy right i'm just saying in anything in point break point break he's supposed to be like this dangerous murderous uh bank robber and instead he's just like a surfer hippie that wants to ride the big wave <laughs> you know like <laughs> Well, he was only robbing banks to pay for his surfing. That's, that's what I'm saying. No matter what that happens, I mean, Roadhouse, he's not fucking <laughs> intense in Roadhouse. He pulled that dude's throat out, Noah. Plus he knocked yeah. that bear on top of that guy. <laughs> he fought Terry Funk and won. That's a pretty big accomplishment. I think possibly it's also his, his movements because he, he always does have lithe uh dancery movements no matter what he's doing yeah. even in a fight scene you know yeah, what he I mean? does you're he like, definitely does yeah you're like did wait what was that <laughs> you, you can definitely tell he's a guy that knows how to dance and can use that skill to choreograph a fight for a movie rather than a guy that knows how to fight i don't know just just an interesting thing because i never complained like i would never complain about patrick swayze being in anything playing anything because he's awesome but he has that one weird flaw. You don't think he was menacing in Tu Wong Fu, Thanks for Everything, Julie Newmar? Uh, no, that would have been Wesley Snipes. Because Wesley Snipes in drag will still beat the holy fuck out of you. <laughs> um, 
Anybody remember John the Lake Outsiders? Wasamo, not so much. Anybody remember the Outsiders? Was he tough in the Outsiders? Nobody's tough in the Outsiders. For a movie that's about <laughs> gang fights, I just, I mean, it could not be less intense if they like came into every fight snapping like it was a fucking West Side story. <laughs> what about uh, Skate Town well. USA? The roller <laughs> disco the movie he was in. Uh, that's, that seems like it should be on our list of it should. roller disco month coming up by any chance. It is his, his very first acting credit. I am upset and nervous at the fact that I bet if we look that up, there is so many roller disco movies. Oh, I'm sure there are. Skate Town USA and Bounce. There, I just named two. All right. That's what I'm saying. Off the top of your head. That makes me nervous. I bet it's in the tens. Yes, just know we're supposed to be complaining about the propaganda elements of the 1984 action drama film, right? So, so let's talk about the part where the Russian guy dance fights Patrick Swayze. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus. I almost believe you were going to get back on track there. He's like, nobody puts Charlie Sheen in a corner and then they have a dance fight. The worst the worst part of that, so it was supposed to be a badass moment, the moment where, you know, uh, Patrick Swayze and the Russian guy face off there at the end. Why did he talk? He could have just shot that dude and not got riddled with bullets. Yeah. <laughs> He's like, bad. you lose. <laughs> and then he waits for the guy to, like, turn around. It's like, no, no, shoot, shoot the, shoot the fucking guy. <laughs> I want him to see that it's me that did it. I feel like you're forgetting that this is an 80s action movie and that that is an 80s action movie villain that is doing this. His behavior was very appropriate in that context. Do you guys think that Charlie Sheen doesn't look like Charlie Sheen in this movie? And he only kind of sounds like him. It's right. Really it's, it's really weird because there are other movies where he's very young like this. And you can still definitely tell it's him. This is the only one where it took me a minute. I was like, I thought Charlie Sheen was in this. Oh, he's the brother. Weirdly enough, I think it's the hair. He has this weird, like, emo, like, comb over. And he kind of had it in Lucas, too. And then it seems like everything after that, he's got his hair combed more, like, back. So, I don't know. Maybe. He looks, like, he, he looks more like Emilio, though. Like in this movie. Yeah. I was going to say, so... My uh, my stance on Red Dawn is like I just it's the acting's really good <laughs> and the story's pretty good. It's just other than that, I just don't give a fuck about this movie. I do not. I do not fucking care. The acting's really good and the story's really good, but fuck the rest of it. Well, here's what's, the thing. What's, what's Once the again, my my only criteria of a movie is, did I have fun and enjoy watching this? And the answer to Red Dawn is no. I oh. find it long, and I find it annoying, and I find its politics to be weird. <laughs> and there is nothing in this that makes me go, yay, I watched Red Dawn again. Yeah. It's because you were saving it for the next movie. Yeah. See, I, like, I'm going to basically, some of what... <laughs> Noah's saying I think is accurate but the weird thing is for me that makes this a better movie where I was like 
Oh, the acting's actually good. I didn't expect that. Oh, the story's actually good. I didn't expect that. Like, I'm actually pretty happy that I got to rewatch that movie because it's a real movie, and I didn't. I don't think I knew that going in. I anticipated it being just dumb '80s action. Yeah, it's it's one of those movies. I totally get why other people like it. I would never take it away from somebody. I'm not going to say it's a bad movie. It's not a bad movie. It's just a movie that I don't personally enjoy watching. Okay. Brian, you're the tiebreaker. Uh, yeah, I enjoyed it. It's fine. Like, I don't know if I'm completely in love with it. Like, like I said, I just saw it within the last decade or so. Too, too hot, too cold, just right. <laughs> <laughs> I just saw it within the last decade or so, so I kind of knew what I was getting into. And like right. it's good, like you said, the acting's really good. It's got some good performances and stuff. Yeah. Do you find it weird that the visual of Russians just parachuting into a Colorado high school just seems kind of like is that what they were trying to do? Because that's kind of weird. <laughs> it raises it's it's almost like the faculty you needed that line of dialogue where they explained <laughs> why the hell would they come here. <laughs> It's yeah. I mean, the, the, that whole thing, that opening scene is like the lunacy of that many Russians parachuting into a, town, a small town in Colorado, so and immediately going to the high school to attack, and also the fact that somehow that many Russians were able to jump out of a plane without being caught, right? Like, right. So the apparently the whole line about uh, where the Lieutenant Colonel's kind of explaining to them what they did. You know, they, they blew up all the power stations and communications with yeah. nukes and then cut off the passes across the mountains, which is why they're in that town. Apparently, originally in the movie, this was supposed to be set in a different town that had no strategic value whatsoever. <laughs> and somebody was like, yeah, that's too dumb. It's too dumb. Okay. <laughs> no, no one will believe this. It's in Colorado now. <laughs> Right. Well, and I mean, I mean, if you just wanted to set it a little later in the war, then every place becomes occupied territory, right? But that's not what they did. No, we don't even get like a good sense of "quote unquote" the war. We get like what's going on in the small town, which I know is on purpose, yeah. but. It's just like we get this little thing, and then uh, they fought back, and then they killed that one guy, and then they need like a voiceover to kind of tell you that oh no, there was a whole World War Three thing happening going on. Yeah, I did think early on they they had enough dialogue to kind of let you know, yeah, this was a small part of something bigger that was going on in the world, but we're just sure. going to tell you the story of these characters, like en- enough. Where I'm like, I didn't need to see the nukes going off or anything like that, which is what we would get in a 2020 version of this film, is we would get a scene of the nukes going off. Well, anything else about Red Dawn? No, I was, like I say, I was pleasantly surprised by it, so I'm sure Noah's going to love the next movie because it's a little bit more fast-paced and a little bit more lighthearted, so he can't possibly complain about it, can you? Well, do, do you want to hear a true story before we even start in? Sure. I enjoyed watching Iron Eagle more than I watched enjoyed watching Red Dawn and I do not like Iron Eagle. 
Well, I know that's a big old lie because you bought it because it's your new favorite movie. So, uh, <laughs> Noah, why don't you tell us all about Iron Eagle? Hold on one second. Yeah. What is happening? Sorry. Right. I had a hangnail. I was chewing it off. Okay, well, do that on your own time. We're trying to record a podcast. <laughs> do what I want to do. Uh, Iron Eagle is a story about a spoiled white kid uh, whose dad is in the Air Force. Uh, he wants to be a pilot real, real bad. Um, essentially, this is a an 80s ski movie with airplanes instead of a mountain. <laughs> essentially his, his dad gets shot down and he hatches a plan to steal an air force plane with the help of a character who was very very much in the vein of the magical black man which that's that's upsetting but it's an 80s movie so that's fine uh and he commits a bunch of war crimes and uh treason and saves his dad. You forgot that his group of scrappy friends come together to help him pull it off. Right. I also uh, forgot to mention that he races a dirt bike in a Cesta. Yep. Because that makes <laughs> because all 80s. sorts of sense. It was the 80s. Not only did he do that, but the guy on the motorcycle messed with the engine of his Cessna. <laughs> so it almost crashed and he almost died. And they acknowledge that in dialogue, and then that's the end of it. He punches them once, so now they're even for the attempted murder. <laughs> and they just move on, because it's the 80s. Yeah, You're allowed once, to just try to kill a teenager for no reason. Once again, that's the mean skiing kid who yeah. uh, knocks knocks him over while he's skiing. Yeah. Uh, you forgot to mention that his friends are made up of Styles from Teen Wolf and the Black Nerd from Revenge of the Nerds. His name is Lamar, and you will say it with respect. <laughs> that was the most exciting part of this whole fucking movie is when he popped up, and I was like, yeah, it's Lamar. Now I can oh. think about watching Revenge of the Nerds while watching this movie. If you were, if you were worried about the Lewis Gossett Jr. character being a <laughs> black stereotype, though, when they just, I mean, Lamar's sole purpose in this movie, from what I can tell, is to be the, the little bit of comic relief, and right. then they sure do just have all the white folk gather around to watch him put on a little dance routine, don't they? And it's like, I'm watching it going, oh my god. <laughs> I, if you would have just hired two black extras to be in the crowd, at least it wouldn't just be a bunch of white people staring at black people dancing for their own entertainment. Clap your hands, everybody. <laughs> everybody, clap your hands. Oh, God. It was, it was a little... And I know that it probably wasn't intended in a negative way at the time. It's just it does not pass muster by today's ethical standards. <laughs> Well, and he's a very uh, in all the roles he plays. He's he's kind of got an effeminate personality, and they're trying to play him off almost like this kid's tough black friend. <laughs> and it's like I don't yeah. I don't think he is. <laughs> I I feel like they they were assuming that we would all just take him as tough because he's black. That's how it felt, and I'm like, it's not. You can't. You're not supposed to make those assumptions. All right. It was the 80s. Let's move on. That is not the most problematic part of this movie at all. So, 
I was going to say, pretty much anything that's got to do with the black characters ends up being problematic. So when Louis Gossett Jr. takes him out to eat, he asks him if he wants to go to an Italian <laughs> restaurant. And they this go to a restaurant that apparently there is a smoke-filled black jazz club that serves Italian food. Because... That's where all black people go, is to well, smoke filled jazz clubs in the 80s. Weren't they eating yeah. pizza? Wasn't that the joke? He asked him if he wanted Italian, and then they just went out for pizza? No, I think he was eating spaghetti. Like, this place actually oh, serves Italian yeah. food. For some reason, I thought they were eating pizza. I don't know. I'll be honest. Like, when he when he said, would you like Italian? And they go out for Italian. And inside this jazz club, I was busy laughing, so I didn't have a chance to see what they're eating. I'm like, it's so ridiculous. I mean, it's funny, but it's also like, yeah, oh, God. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then it's like, then remember when they made Louis Gossett Jr. dance and he can't, but they just assumed he could because he's black. So they just put him in a scene of the movie where he's dancing. And we all had to watch whatever that was that happened. I'll, t- I'll tell you why that's irrelevant. The one saving grace of this entire movie is is Louis Gossage. <laughs> you know what? Because he's such he's such a good actor. He actually yeah. like saves moments of this film where you're like, all right, <laughs> I'm he's, back in. He's legitimately fantastic in the movie. He is. He really like grounds the movie and makes this ridiculous plot seem a little bit more believable. And his interactions with those kids, none of whom are putting on particularly good performances, which might not be their fault because some of it is the dialogue, but he really makes it all seem like, oh, maybe they are actually doing something real here because Louis Gossett Jr. is taking it seriously, so so am I. Yeah, and he does he does righteous anger better than just about anybody. Yeah. He's got that really like that dark, gravelly voice that when he just starts like yelling, you really like if you were in the room and he started yelling, he would definitely get your attention. Like I would be scared of him. I'm pretty sure in real life. I thought I thought the most disturbing part of the dance scene with him was that I don't think I've ever realized that Louis Gossett Jr. Scott, he's got a lot of ass. (laughs) (laughs) All right. I'm just saying, dude's got a shelf. Dude's got a shelf butt. All right. And, it, and I didn't need to know that, and now I know that. <laughs> it's nice to know you were paying attention. I mean, they zoomed in on it. He was yeah, dancing, I mean, Noah. Come on. <laughs> Listen, we objectify women all the time on this podcast, which is bad. So, to balance the scales, we also have to sexually objectify Lewis Gossett Jr. and his fantastic shelf butt. You should have done that on the Enemy Mine episode. <laughs> you can't see it. He's got a tail. Jesus. Um, so do we want to talk about how somehow Commando is a more believable movie than this movie is? <laughs> well, because in Commando, at least the guy that goes on the one-man mission to a foreign country to take on an entire army is trained in advance. This kid, you know, has a couple hours in a flight simulator, (laughs) has yet to even go to the full training academy, and yet is somehow able to do this. But he is American, and the other guys are uh, generic Middle Easterns, so... (laughs) Uh, is it is it good or bad that they didn't name that country just out of curiosity? 
A little bit of both. <laughs> it's like it's inherently racist, but at least he wasn't blowing up real people. They were, you know what I mean. So, was this movie after Top Gun? Eighty-six uh, Top Gun, I think, is eighty-five. So technically, yes. I just thought it was weird watching it every time he would put Ooh. a new uh, magical tape into his tape player deck because that's how he flies better than everyone else. Because you he, fly, you can fly better got, than everybody else if you can listen to the right music. Yeah. That's what I'm saying because he's got sweet uh, jams. Top Gun, 1986, same year. Oh, same. Oh. Year. so that explains it then because I was like, I can't believe not once did he put in a tape and it wasn't uh, Danger Zone. <laughs> I did. We, we did get the full-on Twisted Sister in the soundtrack, though, when the kids were like rising up to take over. Oh yeah, I was and, like, that's amazing. Well, and the the fucking theme song's done by fucking King Cobra. <laughs> <laughs> soundtrack. The soundtrack to this shitty movie is actually pretty good. It's kind of like uh, 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 the Crow Two, City of Angels. Great soundtrack. <laughs> Not not good sequel. Great soundtrack. Uh, is anybody else a fan of The Office? Uh, yes. Did anybody notice Jan, Michael Scott's girlfriend, was whatever the main kid's girlfriend in this movie? No, I did not pick up on that. Yeah. I was like, why does she, she look so familiar? And I had to like look it up. I'm like, it's Jan from The Office. Okay. I don't think I picked up on a single actor after I saw Lamar. I was checked out. <laughs> <laughs> I was just so excited. I was like, yay, Revenge of the Nerds. Styles was, uh, Styles was the one that got my attention. Yeah. And uh, the one chick was in Summer School, which I just happened to have rewatched like two weeks ago or whenever I talked about it. So that's uh, like I recognize her. Was it Shawnee Smith? Yeah. Yeah. But she looked. she looked different in the 80s than she did like when she had yeah. her, like, later career she's way younger in this movie so, so apparently the united states air force was supposed to be involved in this film they were going to do like some training and shooting and stuff with them and when they got the script and found out about the scene where basically the kids break into one of their bases and completely reprogram all their computers and shit and, and steal them blind they were like no, <laughs> they were like, they can't do this. This is too easy. This this makes us look completely incompetent. And apparently the directors were like, nope, it's staying in. We'll just have French people fly. Yay. <laughs> well, I mean, you need all that. I mean, like, I, I will say that a similar thing about this as to the other movies. They do kind of. It is more of a real movie than I anticipated it being because I could remember its basic plot line. And I'm like, okay. So having not seen this in years, I'm like, how the hell did they get this kid into a plane? And I'm like, oh, well, they actually have all his friends. Like, they go through and be like, set up refueling stations and, you know, clear flight paths for him and all this other kind of stuff that you would not necessarily expect, right? In a big dumb action movie about a teenager who can fly a plane. So I, I actually think that you would not want to take those scenes. Up. Yeah. It just seems weird to be like, well, in order to do this, number one, this kid's going to go and take on like an entire air force of a foreign country, which is great. 
number two, he's going to have to steal a plane from the Air Force in order to make it happen. Yeah, that's, that's treason. <laughs> treason. Like I said, tre- treason ain't war crimes. Lots and lots of war crimes. Yeah. Lots and lots of war crimes. And Okay, so let's get into it. The whole thing. Like, we talked in the other movie about how there was actually some complexity about, like, who are the good guys, who are the bad guys, like, how does being in an occupied territory cause these problems and all that. In this movie, this kid goes to war and kills all those people to get his dad out of there. But they flat out say in dialogue, like, they consider this their territory. We don't recognize that much we recognize a lesser amount so we intentionally fly into the part that's disputed well so you went and you picked a fight and the guy got caught and he was put on trial for something that he was guilty of in that country it was what he was doing was illegal by that country's laws they arrested him for it and put him on trial for it I'm still not 100% sure they're the bad guys just because they're from the Middle East doesn't automatically make them bad guys. Because America did. <laughs> That's why. I know. And because of Ronald Reagan, I remember the dialogue. <laughs> and it's like... But it's... Oh my god, the messaging in this movie with the, the pro-America rah, rah, rah. But then add into that all of the like anti-establishment stuff that's this weird new... Ver- like you talk about the other one being Republican porn, like this idea that like, Oh, the fucking, all these bureaucrats that make us stop and think before we shoot things, we should just fucking shoot things. And then we can talk about why we shot it later. And you're all like, if the government won't let you do it, you should do it. Yeah. And like, like, I mean, obviously the main plot is that, but even if you concede, like, okay, the main plot is like, that's kind of the MacGuffin you got to give the movie there's so much dialogue in this about how like if we were a real country we'd just blow them up but now that we're run by a bunch of sissies that stupid peanut farmer turned us into a bunch of sissies so now we have to talk about it now we got to negotiate and everybody is just like why would we ever negotiate we should only blow things up and then they're all like yeah and it turns out like the movie's messages that yes they were correct you should never negotiate just blow things up that's the proper solution to all of life's problems. <laughs> I don't always agree with that. But have Ugh. you tried blowing stuff up, Doug? Not, not on the scale that they do it in this movie. Well, maybe you shouldn't make decisions before you've blown something up. Shar Shar watched this one with me, and she was very concerned about where they got the budget for all the fucking explosions <laughs> and shit in this movie. <laughs> So what happened? You were like, well, I have to buy it to watch it, which I don't know if we've talked about. It's not available to rent anywhere on a streaming service, but you could buy it on Amazon for six bucks. So that's what me and Noah both did. So where you were like, fuck it, Char, Char, I had to buy this. So you're going to fucking sit in here and watch it. (laughs) Get in here. Well, I was watching it while I was cooking dinner and stuff kind of back and forth. So she didn't really have a choice. (laughs) but i was like that's a good point they blow up a lot of stuff and all the planes they have flying around because i'm sure a lot of it's just reused footage and cut different ways to you know what i mean sure 
over and over again. But still, flying jets is really, really, really expensive. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and the action in this movie looks great. Like it, there is a couple of times I think with the planes where you can see that they've used miniatures, but there's obviously oh, yeah. a lot of real jets flying around too. And the miniature stuff I think looks pretty good. It's not, you know, just because I can pick it out doesn't mean it's a criticism. Also, also a thing I know about that I didn't need to know about before I watched this fucking movie is apparently those are not Megs. Those are Mirages. They are French planes. Okay. Because whenever I was trying to look up information on this movie so I would have something to talk about, uh, the very first thing that popped up was like a 20-page scathing review of this movie written by some kind of military buff guy who just fucking went off about every fucking mislabeled plane and weapon and just just endlessly pissed off about everything they did in this movie. That's funny. It's hilarious to me when people take stuff like that too seriously. Like, this movie is not meant to be accurate. Oh, no. Like, it wouldn't surprise me if some of the missiles that they describe don't exist. I I wouldn't have checked that on a movie like this. This movie opens up with a race between a plane and a motorcycle. I, I don't know why you would then start questioning the authenticity of every little detail. See, you know, that guy would have been like, dirt bike, asshole. Not a motorcycle. <laughs> it's got the wrong kind of wheels. It's meant for off-road. Yeah, I know, but off-roading was technically cheating in that race. Like, I cheated so many times in that race and still lost. <laughs> it must have been really embarrassing. <laughs> Again, it was the 80s. This kid stole a plane, blew up a foreign country to get his dad back. And his punishment was he got into the school that he wanted to get into and had previously been rejected from. It was literally his only punishment. The best the best way to get into the Air Force is by committing treason and war crimes. <laughs> yeah. They're, they're the sure to trust film. you after that. They're like, I'm sure he'll be fine around all these planes. He didn't just steal the plane. He also technically stole a bunch of fuel and stuff from those refueling planes. Yeah. Well, Plus you got a, one, like, a bunch of missiles that cost like $50,000 a piece. Yeah. Just fired off a bunch of them for no reason. What about his friends? Did they just get away? Did he not snitch so everybody doesn't have to uh, I mean, get in trouble for changing like, stuff in computers? And- again, like this movie is... In a command is a commando type movie. We're not meant to be asking these questions. Well, I'm just saying I'm going to watch Iron Eagle two, and I expect there to be a reason. They explain why it's totally fine. I think Iron Eagle two Chappie comes back, and he's the uh, he's now training a new set of pilots. I do believe Lewis Gossett is in all of the sequels, and it's always yeah. him and some new young pilot. It's him. It's he's in all the way up to four, but in four, I think he brings back the kid from this one <laughs> to help him with like particularly problematic recruits or something. And in one of them, I think it's just about like drug dealers on the military base. Somehow, I don't know how they even get the planes for that. <laughs> Here we go. Iron Eagle two. General Chappie Sinclair assembles a joint U.S.-Soviet strike team. To take out a rogue Middle Eastern nuclear base. Okay, he's so, a, so he goes from reservist in this movie to general in that one. Yeah, 
All right, well, he did commit a lot of treason and war crimes himself, so I guess that makes sense. <laughs> uh, Iron Eagle 3. Chappie discovers a drug smuggling scheme at his own airbase. Turns out that the lives of some village people in Peru are at stake. I don't know how that... Okay. And he decides to fly there with ancient airplanes and friends to free them. Ancient airplanes? Yeah. That sounds how ancient terrible. can an airplane be? <laughs> that one's uh, like, I don't know why, but Iron Eagle 3's got fucking uh, uh, one of the Chibas in it. That's so fucking exciting. <laughs> uh, Iron Eagle 4. <laughs> When Chappie Sinclair is saddled with a bunch of misfits and delinquents for his flight school. So now he's just doing flight school, huh? After saving the world like three times. Uh, he turns to his protege, Doug Masters, to assist him in sharpening them for an important competition. During their training, they stumble upon a group of subversive U.S. Air Force officers who are dealing in toxic waste as a sideline. <laughs> Outstanding. <laughs> oh, we should have set up Iron Eagle Month. This would have been perfect. Oh. Isn't oh. there another one? Isn't there a part five? Not that I know of. I only know. I've never seen any of the sequels, but I think there's only four. Oh, here's one. I don't know if it's directly related. No. I thought there was like another Iron Eagle that wasn't numbered. Maybe it was from something else. Yeah, I guess not. Doesn't matter. And then Doug would have had to buy all of them and would have been super pissed that he owned the entire Iron Eagle uh, collection. I don't know if I would be pissed. I think I, I enjoy like, okay, so I have my problems with this movie. Like, the messaging is just horrific. But it's just a dumb action movie in a commando-like way. It is fun. You know, it's it's not trying to be first blood. It's trying to be Rambo too, and that and that level it is enjoyable to watch. Stuff blows up real good. A kid flying an airplane makes no damn sense. Them arguing over which music they should play while they're flying is. Oh, uh, do you know what we forgot to talk about? The fact that he straps his Walkman to his leg. Well, there is that. But then also that the main bad guy decides, no, I'm getting in a plane (laughs) and we're going to battle it out in the sky. Oh, and then they fucking, (laughs) they earmuffed that at the, the time of the trial. He's like there and he's like, well, you know, he's serving as like the judge and he's talking about how I'm a pilot. So I know exactly where I am when I'm in the sky. And I suspect you did, too. So you knew you knew where you were in our airspace and all this. And it's like, oh, he's going up in a plane later. That's awesome. I wonder how that's going to work out. And then (laughs) it literally is just him. He's like, get 12 planes and 11 pilots. And one plane is for me. I'm going up. (laughs) And you're just, God damn it. Like this oh. makes no goddamn sense whatsoever. After talking about all the plots of the sequels, I need to recant my earlier statement. I stated that this was a 1980s ski movie. Mm-hmm. It is not. This is a 1980s uh, Billy Blanks karate <laughs> high school movie. <laughs> <laughs> 
with planes instead of karate. Awesome. And that see, that's why I liked it. Is because it was just big dumb fun. And it, the whole concept of like the kids being able to arrange like the flight plans and everything to take over, that's all fun stuff too. If it wasn't for all that like just constantly like turning to the audience and saying, Remember kids at home, you know, no bureaucrat is competent. You should never talk things through. Just always steal planes. It's important. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't know. Anything else about Iron Eagle before we move on? <sighs> I don't know. What about the part where he plugs his Walkman into his car and they act like that's a big deal because it was the 80s. And <laughs> being able to listen to a cassette in your car wasn't a huge accomplishment. I just love how he strapped it to the dash and then he pulls out this weird cord and then plugs it into a a box that's obviously been like handcrafted at home and then flips the switch and then sure enough that plays on his on his radio. Well, and dope. the movie actually starts with him fixing a tape that got eaten by his walkman. <laughs> And they act like that's how you know he's real smart because he can do that. We all knew how to put a pencil in those things and turn it in the 80s. <laughs> That'd be like showing him blowing into a Nintendo cartridge and acting like it makes him a genius. Thanks for calling the Midnight Drive-In. No one is here to take your call. For more info, check out the Midnight Drive-In on Twitter at Pod or find us on Facebook. If you want to email us, send it to the Midnight Drive-In at gmail.com. Remember, no outside food and drink. Anyone caught performing sexual acts at the drive-in will immediately be taken to the office. Unspeakable things will be done to you. Thanks for calling. All right, what did everybody watch this week? I watched but one thing. Yeah? I watched Eurovision Song Contest, (laughs) the story of Fire Saga. Did you guys watch it? No. No. It was delightful. I was really into it. Was it though? Was it delightful? Not so. Not all the jokes land, but in general, it's pretty fucking funny. And it's about I. I actually watch the Eurovision Song Contest every year. I'm, <laughs> I really like it. It's enjoyable, even if I don't like the music. I kind of like the idea of it and. Uh, the performances and stuff. And every once in a while, you get a badass band like Lordy or something out of it. But it's it's basically the story of a, a guy and his girlfriend slash possibly sister who form a band and it is their dream to make it to Eurovision. Uh, they get into the local competition by a fluke. Although after their disastrous performance, they're not invited to the big after party thing, at which time a boat is blown up and all of the other contestants are killed. <laughs> Getting them into the contest. And it's just one disastrous performance after another. And uh, interesting, interesting bad guys with interesting motivations. And and lots of random funny jokes. Yeah, I have no idea what even that contest is. So, so it's it's so it meant nothing to me when I saw there. They, well, they did a movie about it. Okay, so what it, what it is is I can't remember exactly how many participating countries there are, but it's basically all of Europe uh, 
plus several countries in like Central Asia and Iceland, and it it, it keeps expanding all the time. Uh, you enter the con each country only gets to enter one band and they only get to perform one song. And so you go through, you perform your song and then all of the countries have, they have like three different scores. You have like basically like an eight point score, a 10 point score and a 12 point score that you get to hand out to whoever you want, but you can't vote for your own country. And so you pass those out and then there's, uh, people get to vote too. Like the the uh, there's like a call in number where you can kind of like vote, but it only makes up a small portion of points. And then the who uh, the top twenty, I think, or top twelve or something like that, move on. They perform the same song again with a even bigger stage show, and then there's voting again, and the person who wins wins. Seems complicated. It's it's not as complicated as I make it sound. The the biggest thing is the contest is kind of famous for unique and uh, not stereotypical winners, if that makes sense. So people, you know, if if it was in America, it would always be the the pretty white girl who wins, and that's not at all. Like one year, a fucking metal band from Finland won. And one year, uh, a transgendered singer, that was just a couple years ago, won all, all sorts of weird stuff. One year, a weird uh, folk music band, <laughs> like, like, and by folk, I mean, like, European bluegrass, essentially, you know what I mean? One in, with this bizarre dance routine where they were doing psychotic high jump backflips kicking hats off a pole because that's some kind of a traditional dance thing that they do it's wild it's it's a wild thing to watch i think you have to kind of be into like musical performance to enjoy it but and their logo looks suspiciously like the disney logo it's really weird I don't know how they haven't been sued by the mouse maybe they secretly own it and just haven't told anybody you you know who doesn't participate United States. Of course, because we are stupid. <laughs> God God forbid we get in on that action. Do you know who does participate? Kyrgyzstan. Oh. Kyrgyzstan, really? Yeah. Now we gotta find a way to vote them in. Get them to win. Right. But yeah, no, like I said, it's it's funny. Uh Pierce Brosnan plays Wolf Farrell's dad, who just like fucking despises him. <laughs> Because he wants to be this fucking weird. The music they play is really odd. It's not bad. It's just odd. There's a really good running joke, too, where they every time they play their local place, everyone just wants them to play the same cover song over and over again. Kind of like Freebird, you know what I mean? But instead of Freebird, it's a song called Yaya Ding Dong. And so every. There's just these drunk guys going, play ya ya ding dong, play ya ya ding dong. That's <laughs> <laughs> uh, really good. You guys should watch it. You get a kick out of it. <laughs> all right. It's, it's not. It's not Will Ferrell's best movie, but it's not his worst movie. That's it. That's all I watched. Ooh, it's going to be a short session. Unless Doug, did you watch a bunch of stuff? Uh, I did not watch a bunch of stuff, but I did watch a couple of movies that actually ended up being pretty good. Um, Enlighten us. 
So the first movie I watched uh, is called Blue Steel, and it is a Catherine Bigelow film from 1990. That's what drew my attention to it. Well, you're all about um, the Catherine Bigelow stuff now, huh? I, I am. It turns out she's made a bunch of movies that I like, and I, somehow, like, <laughs> I only knew about Near Dark until recently. <laughs> um, so, but yeah, this one happens to also star Jamie Lee Curtis, so that's, you know, always a selling point for me. It also has Clancy Brown in it. That's always a selling point for me, so I'm like, all right. This movie sounds this. awesome, but you said Near Dark, so I'm just going to watch Near Dark again. Yeah. Uh, does it also have Ron Silver in it? It does, in fact, have Ron Silver yeah. in it, and he is amazing in it. Yeah. Um, so the plot is – what I knew going into the movie is the plot is basically Jamie Lee Curtis is becoming a police officer. It's her first day on the job. She's involved in a shooting, and you know because this is a fantasy film, she actually gets in trouble for shooting a guy, and it becomes like a big deal. Um, she uh, remember the days when a cop would – get in trouble for discharging their firearm for no reason yeah yeah so she it's her first day on the job and she shoots tom sizemore so it's like all right right away you're like that's a pretty good start to a movie or and uh it's you know because it's Catherine biglow it's all done very well um so basically what happens is ron silver plays one of the guys who is at the scene and we see him grab the gun that Tom Sizemore's character dropped and take it with him and leave right so what this weirdly it becomes a whole thing where he ends up basically becoming a serial killer using this gun as his weapon but he feels a kinship with Jamie Lee Curtis's character so her not knowing anything about that we see that Ron Silver character now starts to also romance the Jimmy Lee Curtis character and you have this weird cat and mouse game where you know it becomes apparent to the police that the killer has some connection to her and so she's brought she's teamed up with the Clancy Brown to who's a like kind of a I guess more of a detective rather than just a street cop and so now she, she's working with him to try to figure out who it could be that's doing these killings not knowing that she's actually Dating the killer, and then eventually she figures it out. But then she, there's a whole second half of the movie where she can't convince people that it's the case, and it it ends up being really intense. I mean, like we've talked about Near Dark. Everyone knows, like movies like Hurt Locker, like Catherine Bigelow can do intense, kind of like harsh stuff, but she can also do sort of the horror elements really well so when you have Ron Silver running around as a serial killer it's pretty fucking cool like he is he's intense as shit we get to see a few of his kills and he's just sick and mean and you know it's so I was really happy I watched it it was it's been on my to watch list for a long long time I just finally getting around to it and uh yeah, it's 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 a recommend for almost anyone really because like I say the the sort of horror elements of it with the serial killer work, the kind of cop drama elements of it work. There's all these like weird little side stories about her be, being like a cop and how it's like hard as a chick cop to meet guys cuz they don't you know what I mean? 
they're kind of intimidated or whatever. And it's like, okay, all that's kind of unnecessary, but it goes to help build her character and that it's also well done. So it's kind of interesting. I remember seeing part of this when I was a lot younger. I think my mom was watching it. And I just kind of watched like 10 or 15 minutes of it. Okay. Um, so I've been curious about maybe going back and checking it out. Yeah, I, I'd recommend it to you for sure. Like, I, I, I was pretty happy with it. Just don't Google Blue Steel because all you get is pictures of uh, Ben Stiller. <laughs> so <laughs> it's problematic trying to find pictures of this movie to update the Instagram page. <laughs> and then uh, I watched that on Tubi. And I don't know if you know this, but Tubi still does that thing where if you're not quick enough, it just starts the next movie for you. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't even up to me. I had to watch. Because <laughs> <laughs> otherwise it's just going to sit there. If you turn it off like two minutes in, it's just going to sit in that continue watching thing and just stare at you and taunt you, right? It'll be there Pretty forever. Much. So uh, have you guys ever heard of the 1984 movie called Angel? Uh, have heard of it, have never watched it. Okay. So I, I, in retrospect, like I've seen the poster before, but mm. I did not know anything about it. Uh, but I had to watch it because I wasn't quick enough grabbing my remote to turn off the other movie. Is that <laughs> so, about the prostitute? Yes, it is. Yeah. So, yeah, so the, the marketing of the movie is, oh, she looked, there's this girl and she's a sweet little schoolgirl by day and she's this like hooker at nighttime and you're like alright I can uh, I can see that being a movie in the 80s but I was a little worried about watching it when I realized that's what I was getting into I'm like well, is this going to be just that is this just going to be an exploitation movie about a 15 year old girl but they hire an actress who's legally allowed to be nude on camera um, turns out it's it's much more though um, so what you get is you have the kind of standard storyline of her fault, like trying to keep her identity a secret and eventually some of the kids at school find out what's going on with her and all that kind of stuff. But the reason that it was recommended to me by Tubi when uh, I finished watching Blue Steel is because the other storyline is that there is a serial killer stalking prostitutes in the area on Hollywood Boulevard and, and uh, so she ends up becoming intertwined in that because one of her friends is killed and she's able to identify the guy that had picked up her friend kind of thing. Um, the serial killer is pretty intense despite being very, very 80s. They keep cutting back to him in his apartment and he does things like after a kill, he's covered in blood. So he stands in like a bucket and washes himself with a sponge. He's in, he's in an apartment and all apartments have showers so I'm not sure why he was doing that you know what you just did you solved a mystery for me okay I think I saw part of this movie when I was like way too young to be watching it like probably like five or something um and there's just been this image of this dude like standing in a tub like a like a wash basin washing himself (laughs) And I remember asking my dad, I think my dad said something like he's sick or something like that. I said, <laughs> oh, he's sick, you know, like, it's a fucking serial yeah. killer. And I think I didn't understand. I'm just like, what do you mean, like, sick? And he told me, he told me this has always stuck with me. It's like he has a cold, but in his head. 
and that apparently that was enough to like satisfy my curiosity and <laughs> so that's funny now i'm gonna have to watch this movie because i think that's gonna yeah. it's gonna be one of those movies that i could finally cross off the list like i know what it is now finally well, you'll, be, you'll be treated to that scene you'll be treated to a scene where you see him like it looks like he's lifting weights but when it pulls back because it's the 80s he's got like a, a weightlifting bar but he's just got uh, cinder blocks hanging off one off each end yeah so so you know he's doing sit-ups at one point but when they pull back you realize he's on one of those weird boards so he's actually like hanging upside down doing them and it's like oh god but you know he is pretty intimidating in it um and some of the the kill there's not really kill scenes that are well done but there's um some shots of like him covered in blood and stuff that are pretty cool and uh it, one of the really interesting things about this movie is so you would think like movie where the the poster says like oh she's a schoolgirl by day and a hollywood hooker by night and it's like okay you would think that this is going to be an exploitation movie where we're going to have to see her have like you know, 12 different guys doing whatever. Yeah. But it weirdly, like, it actually plays it up. Like, the, the good guys in this movie, you've got a cop who's, like, a good guy that ends up, like, finding out about, like, there's a whole plot about how come she's doing this that'll be explained throughout the film. And you have this cop who gets involved in that and is genuinely interested in helping her stopping being a street prostitute and stuff and seems to genuinely care about her and you've got like this group of like misfits that all work on Hollywood Boulevard that are all friends with each other and it's so it's like her and, a, and like another prostitute and like this old guy that's like a retired stuntman that just stands out on Hollywood Boulevard giving out his autograph and telling old stories about who how he used to be in these western movies and stuff and there's like a, I don't know, I don't know what the right word for it is, like either a drag queen or a transgender character that is just like there. And you're like, this group of people ends up being kind of all the, the, the quote unquote good guys in the movie. They're the ones who are treat each other right and care about each other. Like they're the ones that show actual concern. But when we see her in the high school, that's where she's being like, constantly sexualized like there's constantly guys coming up and hitting on her and all this kind of stuff so it's really interesting and sort of progressive for an 80s movie to be doing that kind of the opposite of what was going on in those other movies where they're hitting you with this like hardcore conservative propaganda this is kind of like hitting you the other way and i was i was sort of impressed by that and i thought it was interesting considering the time frame it came out in but yeah uh, all in all this was actually a good movie it there's you know some exploitation elements to it but it's actually like a, a decent film about this girl who's being stalked by a serial killer and she's you know got this secret life going on that she's trying to protect on the side and this wacky group of characters around her that are all kind of like just these people who are working hollywood boulevard in the middle of the night that are all kind of like come together to help her when in her time of need some of it is like a little overly convenient like she's friends with this like old retired stunt man from western movies and suddenly she needs to learn how to shoot to protect herself and oh good she's got a guy there to teach her like it's you know in some ways a little bit too convenient but it's uh i ended up enjoying the movie quite a bit so 
I would recommend it, especially like if you're thinking about watching it. Oh, I'm totally going to watch it. Because yeah. uh, you were talking about the uh, drag queen guy. Yeah. That's why I went and looked at pictures on IMDb. And that basically solves another mystery because I have memories of that character, but I didn't know what movie okay. it was from. So it turns out they're the same, same movie. Nice. So, nice. So you definitely got to watch this. Totally. But that's good, though, because it'll be... I'd actually be curious to hear what somebody else would think of this because I went into it you know, based on the poster art, basically, assuming we're, it was just a, a dumb exploitation movie, which can be fun at times, so I'm not really complaining. No. But it was uh, it was more than that. And there's actually sequels, and I'm debating watching it. I, I get I forget I looked up the sequels earlier today, and I think like she sort of becomes a vigilante at some point and goes back to help free other girls from the street which is an interesting idea. Looks like there's at least two more. Yeah, I think a- there's there's three total. Avenging Angel and then Angel 3, the final chapter. But, <laughs> I don't know. I don't That's know the first one where she one puts is. on the hockey mask. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's so great. They're like, you know what, we've had enough of the Angels franchise. Maybe we should make this the last one, guys. I don't know. I wonder if they would have revived her if it had made enough money. (laughs) Angel 4, a new beginning. Turns out it's not Angel, it's someone else. (laughs) Weirdly enough, it's a drag queen named Roy. (laughs) Uh, Beautiful. Yep. All right. <laughs> I might end up watching those too. That's the weird part. I like this enough that I would certainly at least watch one of the sequels. Um, I suspect, I don't know if anything called the final chapter in a direct to video series of films is going to ever be good. But I'll, uh, we'll see. Maybe if I like the second one, I'll watch the third one too. Uh. Molly accidentally takes a picture of a woman who turns out to be her mother who abandoned her 14 years ago. She tracks her down only to find that she has another daughter and both are connected to a dangerous crime element. What? Yeah. The mother abandoning her is a significant plot point in the first film, so I can see why they would bring that back. But that doesn't sound like the logical way to go with it. Oh, I guess spoiler alert. People can enjoy Angel after finding that out in the plot description of part three. Yeah, you can probably. Yeah. Right. I mean, basically, the, the whole thing is like why she's a prostitute is that both of her parents abandoned her at different times. So she was forced to start supporting herself. And in some ways, it's, it's weird. Again, it's like this weirdly, like, weird messaging where you're like, okay, so she's like a straight A student who's managing to live on her own at a young age. I think she's supposed to be 15. And they're almost indicating that, like, yeah, like, this prostitution was a good way to do that because you, you would have had trouble doing that when you were 15. <laughs> Look at how good she is at it. Plus, the chick is from Jaws, too, so that's always makes you a little happy when you see those faces you recognize. Uh, Christine? Wasn't she in Christine as well? Uh, maybe? I not seen Christine in a while, but I should watch Christine now. Uh, I'm going to watch Christine now for sure, so I'll let you know. I guess not. doesn't look like it. She does look like uh, the girl that Arnie ends up with. 
Christine. Oh, yeah. She kind of looks like her, but you're saying it's not the same actress? No, it's not the same. She's in the other two, those two sequels to this, I believe, so her career couldn't have done that good. <laughs> well, she was on one episode of Gimme a Break. I mean, come on. Oh, well. <laughs> I don't know. I know her from Jaws, too, and I just assumed that was all she was ever in. And I think you're incorrect. She's only listed as the in the first Angel movie. Oh, she's not in the other ones? No. Oh, that makes me less inclined to see them then. After this, she did Give Me a Break, Partners in Crime, another TV show, Helltown, another TV show, Superior Court, Grotesque. Uh, she was in a episode of the revamped Dragnet from 1989. We, we don't need to go through her whole thing. No, hold on. The new Adam 12, the following year, uh, FBI Untold Stories, a movie called My Stepbrother is a Vampire, which we should have done. Uh, <laughs> we can team it up with Grotesque. We've been looking for something to team up with Grotesque. The 90210 Shark Attack, then a movie called Buzz Cut. So she stopped in 1991. She's like, I've had enough. Don't need to make movies no more. Came back in 2013 with My Stepbrother is a Vampire. All right. Okay. Interesting. Did you watch anything else? <laughs> no, I did not have a chance to watch anything else. Uh, I've only watched <laughs> one movie. Oh, I've been catching up on Westworld because I got really behind on it. Okay. So catching up with that. Um We've watched two episodes of the new Unsolved Mysteries, uh, and that's that's all right, I guess. I don't know. It's just like another true crime show. Um, apparently, it is being made by the same people who did the original, though, which is, I don't know, kind of nice, I guess. Uh, no host, though. There's no host. Yeah. Which I don't know. Like, do you try to find a new host? Do you try to find somebody? No matter who you replaced him with, it was going to suck compared, you know what I mean? Yeah. So I think they just opted to not replace him. Well, I actually came up with a couple a couple uh, alternatives for Robert Stack. Like, who would you guys cast as the new host of Unsolved Mysteries? Uh, what's, what's his face from uh, Dateline? <laughs> the guy that Bill Hader's in love with? Keith Morrison? Yeah, yeah, Keith Morrison. That guy is. Uh, what you, Doug? Did you have anybody? No, it's twenty twenty. I thought, okay, you need somebody who you can see just coming out of the fog, wearing a trench coat, because you got to keep it the same. Uh, but they need a very like straight to the point voice, like Robert Stack had. Yeah. So I have two nominees. My first one would be Tobin Bell from the Saw Saw movies. Does Jigsaw. Okay. Or, of course, one of our favorites, Keith David. He's got the voice that sells just about anything. Here's the problem. Keith if David's Keith voice David did it, awesome. it, it would ruin it because you're supposed to, like, be kind of spooked by the unsolved mystery and instead when Keith David's rumbly voice, you would just think it was all badass. <laughs> yeah, that serial killer killed all those people and got away. Fuck yeah, Keith David. Uh, 
I was looking through the episodes. I see there's one about UFOs. So curious to check it out. <sighs> but I yeah. lied when I said I hadn't watched anything else. I actually did watch the first episode of that. And it, it was good. Oh, yeah. First one was good. Like <laughs> a man. One of about- them is almost entirely in French and has subtitles. I watched that one right before we started. Oh, my God. So it, it's a good episode and I'm not complaining. But every time we would sit down to watch an episode, she would put that one on and it would be while I was eating. Uh-huh. And every 10 seconds, you know, you'd look down to take a bite of food or something. And then you'd be like, God damn it. Now I'm lost again. Rewind. it. <laughs> yeah. Nobody wants to eat while they hear French. Yeah. But that one's yeah, really fucked up. Uh, the first one's like still baffling, like a good half hour into it. Amanda is just like transfixed. Just like, what the fuck is going on? Somebody tell me. I'm like, well, yeah. it's an unsolved mystery. So you know how this is going to end probably. Right. So. <sighs> that one's tough too. Cause like everyone just wants to blame that, like the husband and it's like, but they don't really have anything on them from what I can tell. Yeah. Yeah. So that's been interesting so far. Um, and then, yeah, the only movie I watched is... Uh, I've been hearing a lot lately about how maybe the movie Jennifer's Body was a little uh, overlooked when it came out. How maybe people need to reassess. Um, yeah. So, gave it a watch. I had never seen it. Had always just kind of dismissed it because I'm just like, meh. Not really interested. Um. The movie's okay. I'm not, like, in love with it. But I have decided that the movie's just not made for me. So I could see where some people would really find it interesting. Especially from a female point of view. But, uh, yeah. So it was okay. Some of the some of the gore and stuff is kind of good. Um, essentially, Megan Fox gets drugged and kidnapped by some shitty band that they go see at a bar and they're going to sacrifice her to the devil so that they can become super ultra famous but of course they fuck it up so she doesn't die and gets possessed essentially by a demon who needs to feast on people to stay I don't know if alive but stay powerful and so of course she starts killing random people that she goes to high school with such um, yeah, it, like I said, it's okay. Good gore moments. Overall story was kind of meh for me. Um, you're not into Diablo Cody scripts. Probably, uh, will not get into the verbiage of the movie. Yeah. Yeah. That's I mean, what you're describing is pretty much what I remember. So, mm-hmm. yeah. So I give it a solid. It was Okay. <laughs> Here's a brief glimpse of some of the truly fine pictures we've scheduled in the near future. Uh, All right, next week we're going to do something different because I'm going to be on vacation. But we'll be back soon enough to record, but I can't promise I'm going to have time to uh, watch whatever our theme for the week would be. So we're going to do sort of like we did for Christmas and talk about... Uh, our five favorite uh, beach horror movies that are not slash Jaws. pornos, slash pornos that are not Jaws, because of course Jaws would be number one. 
still putting it at number one. Okay. Well, we're going to do two still... through six of our favorite <laughs> peach horror movies. We'll do a fun little countdown. I actually think it's going to be a bit of a tough one because beach horror movies is, is a very specific subgenre that I'm not it sure is. how many. Off the top of my head, I can't think of five that I really like. Number one, Sand Sharks. <laughs> well, Doug, you asked. Number I figured, I figured sand sharks. it was going to be Jaws 2, Jaws 3, Jaws 4, and then two other movies. I don't know if Jaws 4 will make the list. Oh, come on. It's got Michael Caine in it. We're going to have to have some very long debate in our our off-mic time about uh, what qualifies as a beach horror movie, too. Does it just have to have scenes at a beach, or does the primary setting have to be a beach? Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, we could change it to just summer horror movies. Let me open it up. That's some. way too vague. Okay. <laughs> That's... That would be a nightmare. I would. I would rather just uh, go with a uh, the beach. I mean, we could do aquatic, so then it could take place in the ocean or on the beach. What if we find one that takes place in a lake? We'll be all stressed about whether it counts. Yeah, I mean, that still counts, too, I guess. It'd be aquatic. <laughs> so either beach know. movies or aquatic movies, <laughs> one or the other. <laughs> we'll figure it out over the next couple of days. Thanks. Next week's show is going to be a shit show, is what we're telling our <laughs> listeners right now. We all know it. Yeah, but that's every week, really. Yeah. Oh, well. That's why we keep losing listeners. Do we, actually? Yeah. Oh, we're, we're down to about, a, about 120 listeners per episode. Oh. It's almost like we're not even really doing a podcast anymore. Nah, we're just talking to each other and 120 of our closest friends. There. I sent you guys a picture over Skype. I forgot to bring it up. So I haven't watched, <laughs> it. I haven't watched it yet. But apparently, uh, Agent Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Did, a, did an episode where it's set in the 80s. It deals with killer robots. And they basically based the robot design oh, off of Chopping Mall. That's amazing. So, yeah. They did a good job, too. What? Yep. So, I'm pretty excited to watch it. Yeah, they've been, uh, this season's been all about time travel. And they've been hitting different decades. And now they're really? in the, the 80s. And uh, apparently, killer, killer, killer robots that look like killbots is the theme for this week. So, I fucking love that. That's awesome. Yeah, season's been so-so, but Killbots is giving me uh, giving me hope. I'm excited to yeah. check it out now. I, I just like that it's such a deep dive. It's not like what you would think of even when you go back to the 80s. What other people would think of, I might. But. <laughs> well, it is, uh, was it Josh Whedon's brother? Is running that show, so maybe he is? I don't know. Although things are not looking good for Joss Whedon lately. Apparently well, he was just called. somebody said he was he was, yeah. he was called out for being a jerk on the set of Justice League. But yeah. from what I noticed, it was one actor that had a problem with him, and there's no specific allegations, so it's impossible for anybody to formulate an opinion. And after he said that, an awful lot of actors said 
I've worked with him five times and no. Like I know obviously this is like a long time ago, but back when like they did Buffy, like everybody would get together at his house and they would do sing alongs and shit. So I don't think they were doing that if he was a total dick to them on set. But I, I again like one bad one actor having a nondescript bad time with that guy. I don't even if he is a dick, that who cares? He made Avengers. <laughs> like, yeah, I'd. Uh, but I heard. And trust me, I love Joss Whedon. He was. He was my uh, my go-to guy, f- like forever. Apparently, his his ex-wife said some horrible things about him too. Which, yeah, she's an ex-wife, so maybe. I don't know. Well. He- if I remember correctly, is the whole thing was like, oh, he's like a fake feminist because he makes a show with strong female characters, but then he cheated on his wife. And I'm like, that doesn't I, – I don't agree with cheating on your wife, but yeah. I also don't think it's terribly relevant to my discussion of him as a filmmaker. Yeah, and it's for fuck, sure. It's fucking Hollywood if we're going to start canceling everybody who cheats on their spouse. You <laughs> <laughs> might me. run into some problems with getting anything else made. Yeah, I just get worried. I'm just like, no, more horrible things are going to come out. It's going to ruin everything. I'm not going to be able to rewatch Buffy for like the 20th time. No, I'm still good. <laughs> stopping, stopping watching things because a bad person was in it will just leave you with nothing to watch. Well, have you ever watched like? Have you ever watched a movie and actually watched all of the credits? Like. You see how many fucking people are involved? Oh, totally. Like, there's not a bad person involved in every movie. Yeah, but there's got to be. The writer and director is usually like sort of the head of the ship. So when the head of the ship is a horrible person, it just it kind of bums me out. Yeah, but once again, can you do you really hold that against the other 300 people that worked on the movie because the boss sucked? No, but sometimes I'm not like, oh, look, Keith Stewart was a grip on this movie. I totally need to watch it. A lot of times it's, hey, this was written and directed by Joss Whedon. I need to watch it. Yeah. So. I, I don't know. Like, once I've seen something, if I find out the guy who made it is garbage afterwards, I've already formulated my opinion on that work. It just sure. really doesn't change it. I can see it going forward especially with like actors because they're on screen and you're looking at them, you know? Yeah. More so than directors or writers, writers, especially because I usually have to check after the fact who wrote the movie like that. That's generally how it works. Yeah. I'm not saying it's absolute. I'm just saying sometimes it's just bums me out. I don't know. I get, I get the argument of people being like, well, if you watch it, you're putting money in their pocket. In which I accept that argument, but if you're going to go by that argument, that means you can never watch anything that Harvey Weinstein produced ever because he yeah. still makes money off all that stuff. And it's everything. Yeah, no, totally. And I have these weird, like, weird things that I do latch onto that I don't with other people for some reason. Like, I have not watched anything past the first uh, Jeepers Creepers movie because of Victor Salva, but. There's other people who have done equally as bad things that I just, I don't know. I was, 
I was going to say, so the Victor Salva thing is kind of an interesting case study because it's it's a little different in one aspect. Mm -hmm. And that is with the whole cancel culture thing, like it's usually people saying we shouldn't watch these old movies that this person did. You know what I mean? Yeah. Because they were a bad person. And that, I think, is dumb. With Victor Salva, on the other hand, he's still getting hired to make new movies in which maybe he should not be being hired to make new movies. I mean, the the devil's advocate response to that would be um, he served his time to just – if you don't allow people to reintegrate into society and go back to their normal lives – you're sometimes pushing them that. further into deviancy rather than helping so, them rehabilitate. So that's that's true, but here's here's an easy retort to that. If somebody was a bus driver and they got drunk and drove that bus at full speed into a telephone pole, killing 15 children, they went to jail for 20 years and got out, would you be okay with them immediately being able to be a bus driver again. I mean, I don't think it's the same thing. I, mean, I, I think okay. it's exactly the same thing. Well, okay, my argument for this specific situation has always been, all right, if you have somebody who uh, is like the head of a daycare center who then molests a bunch of children, goes to jail and comes out, is it going to be okay to hire him again as the head of another daycare? Yeah, I would say no under those circumstances. But yeah, if there w- if there was such a thing as an adult daycare where he's not <laughs> not alone with children in it, then I would say sure. maybe there you go. There's he can okay. use the skills he had running his daycare, which and which that's that's fine. Risk. But so let's once again same thing. So he was running a daycare. He molested some children. Now he gets out, and now he's going to run a nursing home full of invalids who cannot defend themselves. Is it okay just because they're not children? Do you trust that guy <laughs> not to hurt someone else? Oh, I mean, you put him in an administrative role where he's not working one-on-one with the invalids. Well, but I mean, in this case, he's directing the movies. He is in direct contact with people. Yeah. And I'm not saying he should be left alone with because there's, you know, you get into a whole thing where, well, if those aren't children, then at some point adults should be allowed to make whatever decision they want. Right. I just think once again, I'm, and I don't I, I don't judge anybody for making whatever decision that they make for. You know what I mean? If you want to keep watching Jeepers Creepers movies, that's fine. I don't I don't believe you're doing anything immoral by watching a Jeepers Creepers movie. Now, but I don't necessarily think you're doing something good either. Like, some some people should actually be drummed out of a specific workspace if they do something awful enough. Sure. And, and what he did is as maximally awful as it gets without straight up murdering someone. I mean, I don't think, for the record, not defending the guy. Right. No, no. You're playing just, just so, here, which is fine. Yeah. yeah. And, it's a complicated issue. No, and yeah. like I said, for some reason, 
for some reason I draw the line at him, but then like all the allegations against like Woody Allen or whatever. Not that I really watch Woody Allen movies, I guess. Right. Anyway, right. You, I don't know. But, but you just stop or, or Roman Polanski films or Alfred yeah. Hitchcock films or I mean, Alfred Hitchcock. Uh, we can all if anybody who knows any of the history of the way he treated some actresses, that yeah. dude was a fucking monster, a fucking monster. Are you never going to watch another Alfred Hitchcock movie just because he was a fucking monster? He was also a genius filmmaker, so right. apparently, apparently you can be both. I was going to say, maybe maybe you just shouldn't watch The Birds specifically. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I don't like that one that much, so it's actually okay. But Strangers on a Train was on the TV the other day. I sat down yeah. and rewatched that. I hadn't watched that in a long time. That's, that one holds up. It really Have does. Seen- it the actor who plays the uh, crazy guy is so good. Yeah. Have you guys ever seen Lifeboat from like 1945? Lifeboat's great. It's so fantastic. And it's just, it's yeah. one of those ones where you're just like, it's this single location film shot on like clearly on like a sound stage and all that. Mm-hmm. And they, the level of intensity that they're able to generate in that film is fantastic. Yeah. I bought the uh, masterpiece collection. I got the one with like all of his big movies like in one box set. Oh yeah. Yeah. I think I think the best thing is it gets so much easier after they're dead. Oh yeah. yeah. Doesn't it? <laughs> like <laughs> when like when Victor like Silva's did. bloated ass has a fucking coronary and his heart explodes. It'll be so much easier to be like, okay, maybe now we can revisit the Jeepers Creepers series. <laughs> see, see what's going on there. And then you get to the second one where, and I haven't seen it just from the trailers or whatever, but just, hey, a bunch of uh, high school boys without the shirts on. Awesome, I guess. Oh, yeah, that's although Although I have to admit this, I saw, I saw the second one before I had before I ever knew anything about Victor Silva. And I actually really like the second one. I haven't seen it in a while, but I do remember enjoying it. Yeah. I haven't, I, I, I just haven't rewatched any. I think, I think the one that really fucks me up is so the movie powder. Yeah. That will make you feel icky after you find out. Well, I, I know the first time I saw it once again, it would have been before I knew. And it was just like this weird, quirky, uh, I, I don't know how to fucking describe it. It's almost like a supernatural fucking Wes Anderson movie or something. <laughs> does, does that fucking make sense? Like, sure. it, it, but then you were like, okay, well, it's weird. It's not necessarily good. It's fine or whatever. But then once you know his propensities and stuff, and then you're like, ooh, I don't like any of this. Yeah, I haven't seen that one. Uh, was it Sean Patrick Flanagan from Boondock Saints? Yeah. He's like a very, very albino kid who has yeah, possibly kid, weird electricity. A kid powers. whose mother was struck by lightning while pregnant, and he has weird electric powers. And uh, every time there's a storm, the storm seems to like follow him around, so he's always hiding from the lightning. 
and then the movie ends with him being struck by lightning and vanishing. So it's really weird. Yeah. Jeff Goldblum's yeah. in it. Some of the cringiest parts is him hugging on this albino kid. All right. Doesn't sound like I'm going to watch that anyway. So. Yeah, probably not. I think it's a Disney movie, or at least a Touchstone movie, if I remember correctly. Anyway, weird stuff. Yeah. We went down that rabbit hole, didn't we? <laughs> Polanski's always the one that gets to me because he's such a good filmmaker, but he's still technically on the loose for crimes. Right. Yeah. I'm like, that's the one that's really tough. I'm like, go serve your time. Come back out, make those movies. I'd probably give you a bit of a pass, but it's so hard. I was never a huge Polanski fan. I do love Chinatown, though. But that's the one. That's the one I don't love that much. Really? But yeah, maybe it's just my love for Jack Nicholson. Makes sense. He's kind of on display in that movie. Full force. Yeah. Just well, it's weird. You watch old movies with Jack Nicholson, and you forget, like, oh yeah, he he's actually like a really good actor. He hasn't quite become Jack Nicholson yet. Yeah, where he's just sort of a parody of himself. So. I'm trying to remember, did he did he direct Ninth Gate or was he just involved with that one? I think he directed it. Uh, yeah, that makes sense to me. But yeah, I was gonna say, and that's like one of my favorite fucking movies. I love that movie. Goddamn Roman Polanski! You son of a bitch! It's infuriating. Yeah. Why do why do people who are very very talented also have to be pieces of shit? <laughs> Uh, yeah, he directed that movie. MDB says so. I remember watching it like when it came out on video, thinking it was weird. I may need to revisit it. It's just it's kind of got list. it's got this cool, moody, like drawn out thing to it. It's it's just I don't know. I, it, it, Polanski does cult movies like better than anybody. I think. I mean, between that movie and like Rosemary's Baby and stuff, he's real good at that. Uh, something's wrong style film. Does that make sense? Yeah. All right, we're gonna do a Polanski episode where we have to talk about all of the problems. Huh? Maybe we'll make it do a Polanski episode and agree not to discuss the problems, <laughs> <laughs> so we can concentrate on the damn movies. The funniest thing is, as I recall, I think I tried to put a Polanski movie in the list and I was vetoed due to it being Polanski. Yeah. Which one? Uh, the Fearless Vampire Killers. I would not have vetoed that. I don't remember doing that, but... Uh, he, you I might have believe, vetoed I do believe. I do believe it was Brian. Oh, yeah. Well, I, I rescind my veto then. If you want to put it on the list, you're more than welcome to. Sweet. Maybe there's some other reason. I was going to say, say, we could do a whole Polanski month. And then whatever I thought about that, I was like, oh, no, that makes me feel dirty. (laughs) (laughs) Then we're paying tribute to him, not just observing the films. Right. Yeah. That we're giving him too much credit as a person. Well, maybe we just have to make a deal that at the end of every episode, we have to go, yeah, Polanski, you giant piece of shit. And then we just move on. (laughs) <laughs> we just maybe we should just attach it to his name like every time you mention Roman Polanski you have to refer to him as Roman Polanski human piece of shit 
again, maybe we can just agree not to address the issues at hand and only discuss the movies. Please remember to replace the speaker on the post when you leave the theater. And now, folks, it's time to say goodnight. We sincerely appreciate your patronage and hope we've succeeded in bringing you an enjoyable evening of entertainment. Please drive home carefully and come back again soon. Good night.